Blog Talk Radio. Tonight, I'm here with my co-hosts, Jean and Catherine. Hi, ladies. Hello, Amanda. Hey, Amanda. How are you? Very good. Good. <laughs> good. I hope you had a good week. Um, Very good. <laughs> and we also have two guests on tonight, Elizabeth and Shelley. Hello, ladies. Welcome to the Bubble Hi. Hour. Hi. Hi. Um, we're so glad you're here, and thank you so much for being a part of our show tonight. Um, so Thanks tonight we are going to talk. Oh, I'm thrilled to have you. <laughs> um, tonight we're going to talk about the gift of desperation, which is a term used frequently in recovery circles. When most people hear the word desperation, they certainly don't think of it as a gift. In fact, the dictionary defines desperation as a strong feeling of sadness, fear, and loss of hope. But as with so many other things in recovery, like surrender, vulnerability, and powerlessness, desperation has an opposite meaning. Taking that, first into stop, taking that first step into stopping drinking is extremely difficult for most of us. We can't even begin to imagine how to live our lives without alcohol until we become absolutely desperate. When we are in enough pain, when we become desperate, we make a change. We, we surrender and we ask for help. That is why we call it the gift of desperation. So um, I normally don't do this, um, but tonight I wrote out kind of what the gift of desperation meant to me. So I'm gonna I'm gonna read this just because I had you know it was um, as I thought about it. There's a lot more to it than what would seem obvious to you. So bear with me. I hate reading from a piece of paper, but um, you know sometimes it, that that's what I need to do. So I've been thinking a lot about this topic since we decided to do it. And if you've listened to the show before, you may know that I stopped drinking after I was arrested for drunk driving for a second time. And you might think that it's pretty obvious that that I would stop then, but if that were the case, shouldn't I have uh, stopped after the first arrest? And clearly that wasn't enough for me. As a matter of fact, it never occurred to me to stop drinking after my first arrest. I just stopped drinking and driving, but obviously that didn't last forever either. Looking back at my arrest, um, was uh, looking back, I look at my arrest as only being a piece of the puzzle. The night before, I was away on vacation with my boyfriend, and at the time, at the time, and about 15 of his friends that were kind of my friends, that they, but they were more his friends, and it was pretty much a big drinking weekend, um, which was just my type of thing back then. And, but as usual, I got a little bit too drunk and I picked a huge fight with my boyfriend, um, so bad that he slept in a different cabin than with me. And so when I woke up in the morning, I was devastated. And the saddest part of it all is I had no idea what I had done. 
All I knew was I felt like hell, my boyfriend was not with me, and everyone was tiptoeing around me. Oddly enough, two of our friends on that trip were in recovery, and the woman talked to me and told me I did not have to live like this anymore and that she would help me. Um, Up to that point, I had never hated myself the way that I did at that moment, so I told her that I would think about it and we would talk when we got home. You know, we were two hours away, so, you know, I... We drove home, and my uh, boyfriend went to his house, and I went to mine, and I tried calling him, and he wouldn't answer the phone. And so I did what a good alcoholic does, and I started drinking, despite my promise that morning that I wasn't going to. Um, And I continued to call, and he still wouldn't answer. And so, you know, obviously drinking, your judgment is impaired. I decided that I would drive to his house and try to fix things. And I can say today that thankfully, thankfully, I did not make it far before I was pulled over by the police and arrested. And um, obviously I didn't hurt, uh, well, not obviously, but I didn't hurt anyone else or myself. And, you know, really at the time, I kind of think I was wishing that I would have hurt myself, but fortunately that was not the case. So the next day I had to go to court for my arraignment, and I felt so bad when I woke up that morning that I had to chug a warm beer in the garage before I showered to stop shaking. I couldn't even look at myself in the mirror, and um, I went to court, got that over with. When I got home, my boyfriend had to go get my car, and I had what I hope is going to be the last beer of my life ever, Um, and I did that because I was shaking so bad I couldn't fall asleep. That night, my uh, family and friends showed up at my door for an intervention. Um, And the minute I saw them all, I said, I'll go. That was my gift of desperation. And I'm sharing the whole story because, for me, it really was the arrest. It was how I felt that morning when I woke up on vacation and the morning that I woke up before court and that awful feeling of regret that I had been feeling for quite a while but wouldn't acknowledge that all seemed to come together at once. I was more sad then, I was terrified, and I had lost all hope. And honestly, I wanted to die. But then hope walked in my front door, and I grabbed onto it like my life depended on it. And I know now that it did. I look back on that now, and I am so very grateful for that day because it got me sober, and it has kept me sober so far since then. So... um, I wanted to write that all out because one of the biggest points, uh, I guess one of the things that I wanted to say about the gift of desperation is some people, I think, look at it as being this, you know, huge event in your life. And even though I did have a huge event in my life, it was really the feelings that I felt inside. And it was just something that, for once, I finally gave up and gave, you know, and said, you know, I surrendered and said I needed help. So, um I wanted to share that with you to explain, you know, to kind of illustrate for me what my gift of desperation felt like. And But that's enough for me for now. Um, so we'll talk more um, about how we can use the gift of desperation as a tool in our recovery. But for now, I'd like to bring our guests into the conversation. So, um, Elizabeth, I would love it if you could please tell us a little bit about yourself and your experience with drinking. Okay, um, I'm, I'm currently 47 years old, and I stopped drinking at 42. And uh, I'd had a, a long drinking career because <laughs> I started at 15, 
and I right off the bat I loved it. Um, you know, I felt like the real me was shy and awkward, and when I drank, my humor and my sense of fun and confidence shined, and I just decided right away, well, the drinking me is the real me. That's that's the person I was supposed to be, and this other person, you know, needs to go away because <laughs> she's just shy and awkward. And so um, I mainly dated guys who liked to drink and who didn't seem to mind the way I was because I was just, oh, you know, when I drank, I was always, always passing out or nodding off on on the train or on I mean one time I went on a date and we went out it was a double date I was with my friend and um we went with the two guys and we were having a great time and I we were listening to music and next thing I knew I was in bed uh waking up going to and going to class and I was like what happened and it was like I had blacked out like the entire night and apparently I had passed out on the toilet and um, they, everybody was opening the door, like, oh, look at this, you know, and, and lo and behold, the guy calls and wants to go out again. So, like, he just loved, you know, he didn't care. He loved it. So, um, and then there was another time that I woke up and my boyfriend at the time was, like, rubbing his fist and he was like, look what you've done to me. Look what you've done. I had to punch a refrigerator all because of you. And I just, I had no idea what I had done. <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> So it was just always stuff like that. It was like I would go out and I would have a blackout and, like, the next day everybody would tell me what I did and we'd all laugh and it was so funny. And that went on for a few years and then I started, you know, everybody started to grow up around me and they started to get married and settle down and I was kind of still just wanted to have fun and be a party girl and whatnot. So I really didn't think about settling down until my 30s. And um, I got married, and that we had some, you know, uh, prior to getting married, we dated, we had some fun, and then we got married in 2001, and, like, shortly after that, I started to try to have children, and that was, uh, that didn't happen easily. We had to get uh, fertility treatment, and I just, I, that really did a number on me, and that's when, like, my, my drinking just started to become more centered around, like, medicating and less around just the, you know, the uh, social aspect. And so um, I did have, I ended up getting a fertility treatment, and it, it worked, and I was able to, um, I, ha- I think I, 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 I got pregnant, and then at five weeks I miscarried, and that, that w- I went into, like, a complete drama where I would just, I would come home from work, and I would start drinking, and I would show up at friend's house, and I was crying, and drama drama and very upset and um then then the next then i we tried again and i was able to get pregnant and so i had i ended up having a being pregnant with triplets and when they were born they were in the NICU and it was a it was a whole big thing and when they came home they were on oxygen and there was really no time for drinking it was like very very regimented i had to be very careful and give them these little guys like little teeny syringes of medicine. I had to be very precise. And so I really thought, you know, hey, I don't drink that much anymore. I'm cured. Like, there's no way, you know, that I, I always worried I was an alcoholic. You know, I guess I'm not. But after they started to get stronger, I started to drink again, and my drinking levels went right back up again. And then when they were about 15 months old, they were diagnosed with autism. All three, they were triplets, all three were diagnosed and I just really went into, like, a tailspin. And I decided that, like, I just was going to drink 
that night, like when I was going to put my nose to the grindstone, do all my work and, you know, power through all the bath time and everything. And then I was going to have my much-needed drink, and I, I had deserved it. There was no guilt or anything. And so that went on, and I was, a, I was probably doing like a, um, almost a bottle a night. Um, and then I just started to get really, really um, just dis- – I just really did not – I was very disenchanted with my life. And I just felt that, you know, I just was no longer social. I no longer wanted to, uh, you know, talk to my friends on the phone. I didn't want to do anything. I just wanted to sit in my backyard and, and drink. And, and uh, you know, I just felt – I just felt really awful. And so I finally just – oh, and one of the things – that was terrible is that I would I would go to, I would drink till like one in the morning and I'd go upstairs go to bed and then I would wake up at 3 a.m. every morning and I called it the 3 a.m. mental beatdown I thought I'm gonna die I'm gonna leave my kids with no mother you know I am terrible you know this is ho- horrible and that was like the worst part and finally I just one day I was just like you know what this is enough enough is enough and um, I decided that I would start I had to go to like meetings because I. I really couldn't do it on my own. I needed the focus and I needed the support. And that's really when, that that was in 2009, and I've been sober since. Wow. Wow. That's, that's, uh, that's very powerful. Um, it was it, it was it the, the late night, the, the late night thoughts for you? Was it, you know, fear for your children's safety, um, I mean, you know, or a combination of all that you just, um, you know, for me, I, I, I had to kind of be pushed and, and um, to, I guess, to see the light, you know, was there, you know, just a, did you just had a moment of clarity, just, you know, just one night woke up and said, you know, I'm going to go to meetings and you've been able to stick with it? Um, it was, well, the one thing is I had, I had, I had dated a guy back in the early 90s who had gone to meetings, and he had, like, a certain special quality about him. He just was very, like, mellow and, you know, go with the flow and, you know, spiritual, and he just was, he just had, he just had something I wanted. And so I always kind of filed his memory away in the back of my mind that, like, if this drinking thing just wasn't going to work out, like, I was going to, I was going to do what he did. So, I had that memory filed away, but just the combination of waking up at three in the morning and then just also just feeling like I had this stink cloud that just like hovered over me, like I called it like my Pepe Le Pew stink cloud because like nobody could, but nobody could see it except for me. And I just felt like I was this, on the outside, I was an all-American regular girl, but on the inside, I just was like this drinking monster and like nobody, you know, I was pulling off this great, roots that like I was you know I nobody really knew like this person that was inside you know and and I just you know I would go up I would show up at this school office and I would there was like there would be a mom sitting next standing next to me and I'd be like she looks like me you know we we have like the same clothes and but like she doesn't do what I do like she doesn't she doesn't drink in the home like I do and I just felt like just very I just hated myself and I just hated the way I was and I, I just really had, I just had had enough. And I just that with the memory of my old boyfriend and the way he was, I was like, I just want to do what he did and just give it a try. And it's stuck yeah. ever since. 
That's that's fantastic, and you know it's not always the case, and that's um, you know we'll talk about more about that in the show because I know for me um, that that gift I've I've used as a tool. Um, how was it? Were you terrified working walking into that first meeting? Um, yes. <laughs> yes. Um, it, it was bad. Like I I drove down the road and I saw like some men like hanging out like smoking cigarettes and and just kind of like they looked like they were like you know they were just were like a rough looking crowd and I'm not that I you know I mean I used to smoke so I'm not like oh cigarettes but like it was like they were just they just were like a definite tough crowd and I was like I was like maybe I just ought to keep going because this might not be like my my AA like I need like the you know the the housewife's AA or whatever so but then I was like no 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 so I turned around and I parked and I was like I'm going in and it was scary. I was like, oh. but somebody came, somebody must have seen like the fear in my eyes. She came like right up to me and she was like, come here, here, sit down, have some coffee. You know, and she was just like very motherly. And she just was like, just sit there, just relax, you don't have to do anything, you just listen. And so like I, that was, that was, uh, you know, that was my first meeting. And it was, I just, I sat back and listened and I just could hear bits and pieces of my story coming from, you know, people that there was there was men and women there I mean there was there was men in their middle ages like saying like you know with the same like ideas and fears that I had I was like it was like wow like we're all we're all similar even though even though we look different and we come from different you know like backgrounds or or whatever it was like we all had these these same fears and these these uh just just a lot of similarities and I was like wow like this is these are my people. <laughs> these these men. <laughs> anyway, it was just, that was my first meeting. It was very powerful. Oh well, that that's really good. I can totally relate to that. I was uh-huh. terrified myself. That's why I had to ask. It, it, and uh, and I and I had some good prep prep work behind me. I had my you know my best friend and my my stepdad telling me you know what it was going to be like, and I was still terrified. Uh huh. Um, uh-huh. But I did it, and it's it's been it's been. Uh, fantastic ever since um well i just i'd like to bring um our next guest in the into the conversation as well so we can you know all have a discussion um so shelly welcome to the bubble hour and um i was hoping you could share a little bit about your story with us absolutely and uh thank you so much for inviting me uh to speak this is this is really um a fabulous forum and um, it's kind of an honor that you asked me uh, to to talk, and really I'm happy to, a little nervous, but um, um, it's a pleasure to, to speak, especially on one of my favorite topics, uh, the gift of desperation. So, um, and it wasn't always a favorite topic way back when, but, um, <laughs> you know, for me, um, in the end, not really in the end, I was, my drinking, I was a fall down, angry, blackout, drunk um you know i'm five foot one and uh you know you put you know a 12 pack in me and and i was gonna fight and i was not gonna remember any of it the next day um and you know when you hear my drunk log there's a quite a few stories that i i look back now and i wonder how i'm even still alive to tell these stories um, because once I put booze in me, that it really changed the person I was. Uh, it, it was it changed the person that you know my parents had raised me to be. It caused me to make some really really horrible choices, um, and let me down a really 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 pretty horrible path. And in the end, 
all I cared about was myself and my booth. Uh, nothing else. Nothing else mattered. Um, and at the end of my drinking, I, I was found myself in a really in a lonely place. I'd gotten divorced. Um, I had been living in Texas, and I moved back to Massachusetts with my two daughter two daughters to raise by myself. Uh, one was only six months old at the time, and one was like four and a half. But I, in the process, I'd alienated my my entire family. Uh, my brothers had pretty much said to me, um, "We can't deal with your drama, and we can't take it affecting our families anymore. So, so we don't want you in our lives." Um, and I have a pretty big family, and really the only people that were left was was my mom and dad. And, and I think really the only reason they were still in my life was because they feared the safety of their granddaughters, because uh, it was just me in the house with, with with my two with my two daughters. And um, I had one friend left, and she was a fellow alcoholic, uh, and, and she lived three hours away in Maine. But you know, I was on the phone with her, and we would we would drink together on the phone, and. Uh, you know, she'd kind of recap what I said the next day, and that was it. Um, you know, I, I was becoming more and more consumed uh, by the disease, and, and it was poor me. I'm raising kids by myself. Um, and it got to the point where I couldn't leave the house uh, without a few drinks in me, and, and there was a cooler, you know, that always rode shotgun. The, the kids were in the car seat in the back, and, but in order for me to physically leave the house, I had to, to have a couple. Um and it got worse because I was working because it was just me, um, and I had I worked for a great company and I I was a manager. Um, but as things deteriorated, you know, I had the shakes real bad, so I became a morning drinker because I had to try to get the the shakes away before I you know got to the office before I had to try to speak to people and you know I started <laughs> drinking peppermint schnapps because that was like mouthwash and um, you know it just deteriorated and, and deteriorated. Uh, but the, that final month, and similar to to what Amanda, what you were saying, you know, there was a series of of little gifts that sort of led led up to to the big finale, uh, I guess you'd say. Um, you know, I'd become a morning drinker. Everyone was gone, you know. But you know, I had to have something at lunchtime because the shakes would come back. So. Uh, you know, at one point, my boss caught me drinking in my car at lunch, and um, they they frowned upon that. And um, <laughs> imagine that. You know, go figure, right? Like that. Yeah, no more liquid lunches. I, but um, you know, and so amazingly enough, though, um, they didn't just fire me. You know, they brought me into HR and they said you need help. Um, and they said we're putting you on a leave of absence. You know, you get some help and 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 come back. And um, at the time, I was like, sweet, I'm on vacation. And, uh, you know, I had a little plan. I, I checked into an outpatient uh, facility because I didn't want to go in because I wasn't quite there yet, um, but I had to be able to get back to work. Um, the problem with the outpatient facility is there was a liquor store on the corner. So go to outpatient in the morning, I'd hit the liquor store on the way back for the ride home, um, and then, you know, just get plastered at night alone uh, on the phone with my friend, you know, and... Um, it was bad, it, 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 and that went on for a couple of weeks. And you know, the thoughts—you know, the 3 a.m. thoughts—started to kick in, and um, you know, the the feeling of being that much more sick because I didn't have to get up to go to work. Um, I could just get up and then you know drink a beer and go back to bed. But um, the kids, you know, deep down, 
I wanted to be a good mom. I, I grew up from a good family, and deep down I think I wanted to be a good person. Um, I wanted to be someone who didn't just care about my booze and being drunk and not feeling, I think. Um, but, I, you know, the turning point or, or the final straw is leading up to that. You know, my daughter was turning five. And uh, my buddy from Maine said, I'll come down, we'll have this party, you know, it'll be great, things will get better. This will sort of be the, the first step, we'll, change, we'll turn things around. And, you know, they came down, her, her and her daughter came down, and we had a big party, and great, and I blacked out, of course, and um, I fell down a flight of stairs. And uh, I landed at the base of the stairs, and I didn't move, and I didn't wake up. And um, oh, that's speaking. Uh, and the girl thought, you know, I was dead. And do you guys hear the ringing? Amanda, can yeah. you hear me? Okay. Um, I can hear right. you. This is Catherine. Amanda, are you there? Yep. Sorry. I, did, okay. I don't know what. Uh, I rolled okay. with mine. Sorry. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. <laughs> Uh, maybe it's a sign, right? It's telling the big part of the story. <laughs> so I, um, <laughs> this is Dean. I just got Elizabeth back on. Are you there, Elizabeth? <laughs> yes. Okay. okay. Great. Okay. And so I didn't wake up, and the, uh, the, the, the girls thought I was dead. And, and that was, uh, my birthday present to, to my five-year-old. And the sad thing is, is the next morning I get up, and I went in the kitchen, and I cracked a beer, and, uh, yeah, my friend was sitting there, and she was just looking at me and uh, said, how you feeling? And, you know, I shrugged my shoulders, and you know, I was a little sore and had the headache, and she just said, do you remember anything from last night? And I said, the last thing I remember was we were talking about ordering pizza. And she's like, yeah, that was, you know, at like five. Um, and she began to recap what had happened. And uh, I, I had nothing. I, it was it was black. And... Uh, when she described the look of horror on my kids' faces and her daughter um, and the fear that she said because they, they thought that their mom was dead, um, you know, I looked down at the beer and I it was a point of utter disgust with myself and what I'd become and how I had, how I, I, I was just like in a shock. Like how did I get to this point? To this point where all I cared about was, was, was being drunk and not caring about my kids and not caring about their feelings and their well-being. And uh, I remember just sitting there, and I looked up at her, and, and she she just was staring at me. She's like, Shell, something's got to give. And I said, get me help. And that was it. And I sat there for a long time, and, uh, and I drank the beer because I was sick. Um, and she jumped on the phone, and she started finding me a rehab in an instant because she knew me well enough that when I finally said it and I finally admitted it and she could tell by my look and my demeanor that I I got it, you know, I, I, I surrendered. And I forever remember that day, and, and I forever remember that look on uh, in my kid's face when I'm sitting in the kitchen and they're hiding in the other room because they, you know, don't talk too loud because, you know, auntie's talking to, to mom about last night. And I remember clear as day how ashamed, 
how broken but how desperate I was. Um, and, and Amanda hears that story a lot. Uh, we go to a couple meetings together. Um, but I keep it forefront, and I keep that that memory and that image um, up front in my recovery um, because I understand that that feeling, that moment, and the few little ones leading up to it, that's a gift. That yeah. moment of clarity is the gift because if that doesn't happen, you know, if I fall down the stairs, I'd, I'd fallen down before, uh, but if I don't fall down in front of the kids and she doesn't tell me their look, maybe I don't get it, and maybe I'm not mm-hmm. here now. Um, it's a gift I didn't break my neck when I fell down. And I guess the, the biggest thing, too, for me is that I'm so thankful that when the gift was presented to me, as I like to say, it was laid out on the table, I accepted the gift. And at that moment, I chose to get help. I didn't make an excuse, and I didn't blame something else, which I had done in the past, or it was the stairs' fault, or I had slippery socks on, or whatever. You know, at that point, the gift my higher power gave me was was there, and I took it. And I remember the glimmer. You know, I'm like, where am I going? What am I doing? You know, it's a whirlwind. But there was a glimmer of hope. When I got in my friend's car, like three days later, I looked in my daughter's eyes before, as I was going to rehab, and I knew that I could be the mom they needed and the mom they deserved. I knew it wasn't going to be easy, um, but it was a glimmer. So it was things are really bad, and, and I'm lucky to be alive. And how do we get better? And since then, that was the start of the journey for me, um, and it was a really rocky journey at the beginning. You know, I was physically sick. Uh, emotionally broken, spiritually empty. Um, so I kind of started from from the bottom, and I just kept going up. and And I think once those things happen, when when you start to to accept it, and, and you realize that it it could be worse or it could be better, and there's that hope, then you know you, you just put one foot forward, and the journey begins. And uh, for me. That's what it, that's what it's been, and we're, I'm almost you know six years later, and I still learn something new. And you know, forums like this are are amazing um, that we can share in this atmosphere and and hear other people's experience and 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 what they've got done so far. So uh, that's kind of my my take on the gift, and I'm forever grateful that that uh, I accepted the gift when it when it presented presented itself back then. Thank you, Shelley. And you, um, you bring it all out there. You have such a powerful story, and um, and you bring up a really good point too. Um, that window of opportunity, that gift, when it presents itself, it's it's um, it's kind of amazing because I th- you know I I can probably look back if I really search hard and um, find other points that could have been a gift, but I wasn't I I didn't choose to see them I couldn't see them or I didn't choose to see them and you know and you have to you know to me I think of it as a gift too because the fact that your friend was sitting there at that table with you to point out that um, maybe you shouldn't be cracking that beer or you know the fact that you know you know you know sometimes people have to show us a gift and we have to you know and we have to reach for it but that that window of opportunity you know can close very quickly too 
So it's kind of, you know, I look at it as something, you know, if you know, I guess for our listeners out there, if you if you get that glimmer, um, I suggest hanging on to it tightly. Um, you know, just like you did, you know, like I, actually, you know, the three of us have shared so far, it's something that, you know, came up and we kind of rode with it and stuck with it. And, um, you know, it's uh, it, it it does not feel like a gift at the beginning because I'm sure you weren't feeling too 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 great that day. You know, none of us, none of us do, I don't think, that day. Um, so, um I want to uh so next I want to bring our our my co-host into the uh, the conversation too. Um Jean, how how about you? Did you have a, you know, what was it like for you? Did you have a moment that you think of as your gift of desperation? Um I think I had a lot of little moments of desperation. And I I guess I want to say in listening to you three just your stories are so powerful and I've just been had tears in my eyes. Uh, over each one of you and I what I hear in common with all three of you and that I felt as well was a self-loathing and a feeling of isolation and um Elizabeth when you said you'd look at the other moms at you know at school and think oh man like we look the same on the outside but if they only knew that's I really identified with that that really that, and and when you talk about your 3 a.m beat down like shoot you could have phoned me uh-huh. and probably every other listener <laughs> we're all having the same, the same yeah we all should have just called each other <laughs> yeah exactly so like if those uh if, they, if there was a hotline you know we would like we we would have brought down the phone system with all the people that i could know phone in at 3 a.m if we only knew right if we only knew. right um, so, yeah, you guys are really talking my language. And yet, here's the thing. I think that before I quit drinking, if I had listened to all of your stories, I would think, well, Amanda, I've never had a drunk driving conviction, so uh, you're worse than me, and therefore I'm not an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Shelly, like, you know, I could I, I could differentiate people's bottoms as or, or people's... Um, just things that happen to them and say, there, that's an alcoholic, but I'm not. And so, you know, I I think if there's listeners that are listening and thinking, oh, you know, maybe I'm okay. <laughs> maybe I'm okay because my story isn't that bad. I want to tell you, I'm one of those people who it wasn't any one big thing and certainly nothing that anyone else saw. But for me, it was a lot of little things and it was a lot, it was the ongoing self-loathing and knowing, just that knowing in my heart. And um, so one of the many things that really opened my eyes was um, my oldest son got married um, three and a half years ago. And I really knew, you know what, after marriage comes babies. And I just, you know, couldn't wait to be a grandma. And yet I thought if they knew how much I was drinking, they would never let me babysit if they if they found out that i was drinking myself to sleep every night and and that by six o'clock you know if they wanted to go to a movie i i would have i mean i would have i would have stayed sober long enough to do that job but then you know i would have drank after and i also knew i was losing control very quickly over it and so i just didn't trust myself and i was so I was desperate to avoid the shame of my kids seeing my truth. 
and uh, just a couple months after their wedding um, was when I quit drinking. And on Thursday, they had a baby, and I yes. became a grandma last week. <laughs> Yay. And it's so, so awesome to have not to not even bat an eye and know that, you know, that not only do they not have to worry, but that I'm fully present and I can just fully enjoy every moment of it and I'm not divided anymore. I don't have that self-loathing and that, like that um, subcurrent script going through my mind, you know, like yeah. across the bottom of the news network, how there's that always that sub, those things going across the, the bottom. The bottom. I have, <laughs> yeah, I had that little scroll of like, wow, you're a terrible person and, oh, let's get home and have a drink or you know, I just I had that was kind of constantly going in my mind, and that's gone. That's a good way of describing it. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Sometimes it was transparent, and sometimes it was in all caps, you know, and sometimes it was really blurry because I couldn't read too good, but it was always there, and it, it's it's really nice for that to be gone. So, yeah, I, I had a lot of little things, and so I guess I'm talking to all the high-bottom people out there who – who maybe even, you know, I have a lot of people write to me and say, I don't know, maybe I maybe I really didn't need to quit. You know, maybe I went too far because, you know, I really wasn't that bad. But, you know, I think that that, that comes when we compare ourselves to other people's um, stories and to other people's situations. But when we look in our hearts, we all have that same feeling, that same pain and isolation and and. That that same knowing inside of us that it's time, it's time to leave it behind. Yeah, and I th- I think that's an important thing to um, to bring up. And I mean, part of what I was trying, you know, when I was the, the why I wrote out mine is because I didn't want to forget that little piece because everything else in my life besides that I had a problem with getting arrested <laughs> or getting caught. <laughs> Um, By all appearances, my life was fantastic. I owned my own home. I had a great job. You know, I I did a million things. I was a high performer, always getting raises and promotions. You know, but in it, and it wasn't even the arrest because you know it was a couple of them. It was it was the feeling inside, Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's a really important point. Like you know, you know, um, it 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 and. you know, Elizabeth, it was more like, you know, you, you had the thoughts in the middle of the night. You know, Shelley and I both have, you know, some pretty, you know, two, you know, pretty significant events that happened that people could say, oh, well, that, well, yeah, of course, that's why you stopped. You know, that that was that was a lot. But, you know, re- the reality is there was a lot of other events just like that. It was mm-hmm. um, leading up to that. And it was really, it's um, it's kind of, you know, when you finally feel enough pain, giving up and you know and surrendering and that's and to me you know the two go you know go side by side you know you you, you get that gift and uh grab onto it like your life depends on it cuz you know um it's just really important and it can be just how you're feeling inside i mean there's that's you brought it up Jean that self-loathing is just that's, I mean, for me, that's really, despite all the other stuff that people could say, oh, yeah, it's, it was really how I felt mm-hmm. that made me finally make a change and finally give up, and uh, it's been the best thing ever. And Amanda, um, this is being, but just to hear you talk about that moment where you just couldn't even look at yourself in the mirror, like, that just breaks my heart, because knowing you as I do, you're so full of life and so full of joy, and so to think of you, you know, just being that 
broken and and hurt. It just it just breaks my heart, you know. Yeah. And I'm so glad oh, that you listened to yourself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's tough. It's it's you know it's amazing what we do to ourselves, and you know hopefully you know shows like this will help people mm-hmm. make a change sooner uh, mm-hmm. than going through some of the stuff that we went through. Um. So how about you, Catherine? Do you have a moment of clarity, that, or did you have a moment, or was it a series of events? Yeah, well, I'm sitting here and, and listening to all of you, Elizabeth and Shelley. I'm so glad you're here um, because we had Mrs. D from Mrs. D is Going Without on the program a couple of weeks ago, and she said, I'm so glad you're sober. And <laughs> I, I can just hear that in her New Zealand accent as I'm listening to all of you telling your stories. Um, and I guess when I started thinking about this show, I, I'm reminded of this Joseph Campbell quote that goes something like, the fates will lead those who are willing, those who are unwilling will be dragged. And that was me, (laughs) you know, and I really had, yeah. And that just, that really feels true. I mean, I drank alcoholically for 15 years. um, And I was really, really committed to what a guy I know with long-term sobriety calls the two biggest lies and those are, I'm okay, and everything's fine. I just, I had this lifelong commitment to maintaining that image. Um, And like Jean, I did a lot of comparing of myself. I I would find people whose disease had progressed farther than mine and say, well, that's not happening to me. Um... You know, and I I also was progressing in my career. I was working very hard, traveling around. Um, and I, you know, fooled myself because I'm drinking in high-end wine bars that somehow that made me different than somebody else who had I, – I kind of don't like this whole notion of a, of a high or low bottom because it's like who can say – Mm-hmm. what that 3 a.m. mental breakdown, as Elizabeth called it, um, felt like that shame. And, you know, for I've said this on the program before, but for 15 years this little voice was in my head saying, you know, all your dreams would come true if you just gave up drinking. And, you know, <laughs> somehow that didn't seem like a good bargain. I don't know. And, um probably two years before I got sober, I came home after drinking with a friend and I was, I was crying to my now husband and saying, you know, I'm an alcoholic. I, I have to stop drinking. And he said, no, you're not. You just have to take it easy. And that gave me enough of a little loophole that I kept drinking for two more years. And I can say that, it progressed fast. Um, you know, I too, Shelly, had a situation where I fell down. I slipped and fell and cracked my head, and I don't remember doing this. My husband stayed awake all night. He was so afraid that I would die in the middle of the night. And the shame of that, but then also I sort of felt this resentment 
towards his, this is just one example of 10 million, um, sort of resentment, like, geez, it's not that bad. You know, like I would always kind of justify, but then I didn't understand. Elizabeth said she was disenchanted with her life, and I felt the same way and couldn't really figure out why. I was really in this victim mode. Um, but things progressed, and, you know, I just I would get drunk faster. I was sloppier. Um and in a really unpredictable way, it was sort of like, mm-hmm. well, I'd have one one drink tonight and I'd be hammered. But then tomorrow night, maybe have, you know, 10 drinks and not feel it at all. Um, mm. I had always had blackouts that I was finding that I was blacking out probably almost every single time I drank. And I was just sort of slurrier and just just a little sloppier, you know. And I really identify with what Shelley said about um, it just changed the person that I am. And I made bad decisions and I was really self-centered. I only cared about, you know, where where my drinking was coming from or just it, even not just drinking. I just I only cared about myself. I mean, that's I wouldn't have said that at the time, but, you know, looking back. Um, so the day I got sober... I, you know, my now husband and I were kind of in crisis and there was this stuff going on. And all of a sudden, the same voice in my head said, it's time. And that was it. And I said, it was like, whoosh. And I think, you know, I saw this meme on the Internet the other day that was like Skeletor, remember, from He-Man. And it <laughs> yeah. said... It said something like, you know, my transformation begins when I get sick of my own bull bleep. And that was my moment when I just stopped lying to myself. Like, I stopped lying that I was okay. I stopped lying that the outcome was going to be any different because it didn't matter. I mean, Amanda, you said this, despite promises that I wouldn't drink that day, you still did. And Mm -hmm. I had that going on, like despite promises that I either wouldn't drink or that I would moderate never happened. And the fact is, is that once I start, I can not stop. It doesn't matter. Like Jerry Seinfeld has this bit where he says the last, functioning muscle in the human body before sweep is the clicker finger. Like you're clicking around the TV, (laughs) like looking for entertainment. You're half asleep and you're still clicking. And that was like me. I mean, I can remember being like one eye closed trying to open another bottle of wine. Like, you know, I mean, I just couldn't Mm -hmm. stop. And somebody recently asked me, is that, a sign of alcoholism and I don't know about anybody else, but for me, like that was it. I could not stop. It didn't matter. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would be enraged if you tried to stop me. So that sort of skeletal moment of just, and I say this all the time on the show, but it was just so important for me was just to stop. Like, just don't lie. I I stopped lying to myself that the outcome was going to be any different or that I had any control over this because I really didn't. Um, and, and I, and I had to start telling the truth that this 
was either at the core of all of my problems or exacerbated all of my problems and not other people's fault or, you know, something else. And then the last thing I'll just say is that I identify with everything that everybody said about the inside, the shame, the self-loathing, the isolation. And that's why now I, I definitely, when I first went to in-person, you know, recovery meetings and I, I definitely had judgment. Um, to, to, I, I didn't feel like, I felt like I was somehow different. Now I love it. I love sitting next to some big tattooed guy who did hard time in prison. You know, <laughs> like I feel like like I love that guy. Like he's me. You know, um, and so that you know, two plus years in that um, that identification feels very real. And um, you know, like Shelley said about keeping that memory at the forefront. Like I can't, this conversation is really important to my recovery because I can't forget that, that that's what that was like. If if there's ever a voice in my head that says, well, maybe one wouldn't hurt you. Like I know exactly where it would lead me. And uh, it's, it's the part of my honesty and, and, you know, being here with all of you is really helping me tonight. So thanks for my sobriety. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and um, actually, so that kind of brings it, you know, I wanted to, you know, see if, you know, Catherine, you just said it, and, and Shelley did a little bit too, you know, how we can use this in um, and to help us stay sober. And I know I do, the, you know, just what you said, Catherine, it's, you know, one thing I had to do, um, and I'd like to hear from all of you, is is forgive myself for that day and for other days, but especially that day because that's a day that it's just kind of, a, you know, when I think about it, it's kind of like, yuck. Like, uh, yeah. it's, just, it's a really painful memory, um, but it's also very precious to me, um, and that took work. That took a lot of work where it became something that I could appreciate for what it was, for, you know, for the gift that it was, because it's it's something really hard to look at, um, you know, how I felt that day, how awful I felt that day. And actually, a, a, a couple of you said this, you know, you know, getting up and being told what I did. That's something, that, that feeling, uh, that's a feeling I never want to wake up in the morning again and have to have someone tell me what I did the night before. I hate that feeling with that that memory of that feeling I despise that I, I I hated it then and I hate it now and I I, I kinda cling to that. Um I forgive myself for the you know, the events of that night and for other things that I did, but that memory that night that's I mean I can pull out a a ton of other memories too, but that one particular memory i can just like pull that out in two seconds if i'm you know if i'm sitting out with friends and or there's a commercial comes on about a beer and i'm like oh i love beer you know as soon as i have that thought it's like well you know where that takes you you know it's 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 an instantaneous thing like i can play the tape really quickly and um and and it's just it 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 sets me um it sets me straight so um how about how about any of you how about you Shelly, is that is that something that you do, or you kind of said that you did? 
Yeah, so for me, I mean, it's a a bittersweet. I mean, I keep it obviously forefront, but for me, because it happens on my daughter's birthday, I'm I'm clearly reminded of it um, every year. And actually, it's a a good thing for me now. Um, I forgave myself uh, a a while back, and my family's forgiven me. And the kids were were fairly young. They don't remember it. Um, But usually at some point during that day, for me, I take my daughter aside and I just say thank you. And she looks at me like I have five heads, but she does that frequently anyway. (laughs) But, um, you know, that... That is something that I do just to look at her and knowing that I've turned my life around 360 degrees direct relation to to that day because of because of them. Um, they're instrumental in it. And I thank her because it hadn't happened. I mean, I I had other jackpots previously, like like you alluded to, right? But I always made an yeah. excuse, and, and and I never wanted to admit that it was the booze, you know, the car. I had car accidents and and, and, and truck driving, and, and it wasn't the time. And, and those who are listening that it might still be early, you know, I, I, I'd like to say the yes, right? Don't don't let yourself get to the point where your bottom is falling down the stairs, right? I mean, if I had opened my eyes, you know, that's one of the things I try not to beat myself up about. Because that's where I can go. Like, if I had only opened my eyes earlier and accepted the gift, it wasn't meant to be that way. That wasn't that wasn't my higher power's plan. Um, so I've forgiven myself, and I, you know, I make a point just to sort of reflect on that day and, and thank, thank my daughter, um, even though she doesn't know why. Uh, and usually, mm-hmm. I, you know, it makes me smile, it makes me feel better. And that's just become some of the ritual that I've done um, since then. Hey, Shelly, this is, this is Catherine. And there's a couple of things there. Um, that idea of yet, when I read early on that it can mean you're eligible to, um, that I, I thought about that quite a bit in very early sobriety that, yeah, okay. I, I never had, you know, any legal trouble or I didn't lose my job you know, yet you're eligible too. That that huh. felt really true to me once I once I um really started being honest about what a slippery slope I was on. But also I wanted to ask you, you used a, a term that some of our listeners might not be familiar with and maybe um you can explain it when you say what a jackpot is. Ah. Um yeah, so the my for me, you know, jackpot when I get myself into situations as a direct result of my drinking, um, whether it was driving under the influence or winding up in the hospital because I got in a barroom fight. Um, it was a situation where I had to finagle, you know, how do I going to get out of this situation? A negative situation, never a positive one. Um, it, and so it was like, uh-oh, jackpot, what do I do now? Do I stay? A lot of people go into AA when they hit a jackpot to... Or um, go to a recovery program, or or do a spin dry at, at a detox when they get into a jackpot. It's like there might be a problem. There's a lot of heat on me. How do I get the heat off? Um, and then they they don't really look at it as it's a alcoholism. It, it it's a one time situation. Okay. I guess that's right. Thank you. Um. 
I had many. Uh, <laughs> was it? Yes, I mean, me too, me too. And I actually, I never, I've never heard it explained. That that makes you explained it better for me. Now I really understand what it means. And it's an event that happens that oh, but uh, I'm not that bad. And so, um, in in getting the heat, getting trying going in there, trying to get the heat off or get back in the big big bed, as they say, you know, just trying mm-hmm. to make things. You know, appease people at home. Um, so oh, I don't even, I can't even count how many jackpots I've had. But I never, I never, ever, ever <laughs> did anything about it ever. I was, I was stubborn. I was going to do it all on my own. Um, so, uh, yes, thank you for that. Um, how about, how about you, Elizabeth? Do you have this? Your, you. Got the gift of desperation. Is do you use that as a tool in your in staying sober today? Is that something that you look at? I do. Um, what I what I look at a lot also is um, the last probably a year before I got sober. I um, I did something that was one of usually typically one of my favorite things to do, which was to go out. With my friends, um, I, I still have very close friends from college. We're very tight knit, um, but over like the years, we've all they've all kind of moved to different states. You know, we always when they come home, we always get together and we just you know we laugh and we have a great time. And so this was just some, this was actually one of the things like when when it would come up in my head, you got to stop drinking. I'd be like, oh no no, because I'll never be able to go out with my friends and have a you know a great time with them, and we have so much fun. So we went out. This was 2003. We went out for the night, and we went to a bar, and I actually thought it was going to be, like, more of a happy hour. And so it turned out to be, it went on for hours and hours, and I got so annihilated. And I was really trying to to keep up with everybody because I'm notorious for burning out, like, pretty quickly and and nodding off. So, um I was really fighting to stay, you know, to stay lively and whatnot. And at, like, the third bar, I was just getting very sloppy. And I was calling my husband and saying, you know, I want to come home. I want to come home now. And, like, and he'd be like, well, then come home now. I can't come home now. What are you kidding me? And it was just it was this drama that went on and on. And the next morning, I was so ill. And I was supposed to drive my kids to school and because they had summer school and it was their first day and I just I had to like drive them in late I was I came home I threw up I threw up for like days and I remember I called my mother who was like you know she was like 75 years old I'm like help me it was just I was pathetic and I just remember that night and thinking like this is supposed to be like these are this is the reason I'm hanging on to drinking is because of this, well, those days are definitely gone. Like, I mean, I can't recapture that rapture anymore. Like, this is this is all new, you know, this is new territory. I'm just, I can't handle alcohol at all. So I always think back to that, that, like, the, that that was, like, you know, the, my, what I hung on to as precious, and yet the, uh, those days were over, clearly. And so I, I always, you know, there's just things like that where I just can accept that, you know, alcohol just doesn't work in my body the same way. Yeah, and it, and it does change. I remember there was a time where I could drink everyone under the table, or so I thought, <laughs> and 
Mm-hmm. But then, you know, and, and um, Catherine, you explained it, and I, and I think this is, um, it's actually, you know, for our listeners, it's kind of a sign that things may be progressing with you. There was a time where I could, there were nights that I could go out and have six beers and feel perfectly fine, not drunk at all. And there's other times where I'd have one beer and I'd be lit. I would just be really drunk very quickly. And it's um that's your that's um that's actually your body telling you that it's it's not handling alcohol that well anymore. So it's um it's uh yeah. and accepting it's that a, it, it go ahead, Catherine. Well I was gonna say that I found out in early sobriety it's actually a symptom of late stage alcoholism. Which scared the mm-hmm. heck out of me. Mm. Yeah. And yeah. so suddenly my my high and mighty I'm somehow better or different than all these other algies <laughs> that didn't mm-hmm. seem so true anymore. Because yeah. uh, and I I found out I had a few late stage symptoms and that was one of them. Yeah, and sorry, I actually here. Um, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead, Elizabeth. Oh, I just um, I was when Catherine said that it reminded me. I read that in a. I read something like that in the Carolyn Knapp book, which was a, you know, I read that, everybody reads that yes. in sobriety, I guess. That that book knocked my socks off. But um, they were, you know, she does make a list, and it was like that That was on the late stage. I was, and there was so many on the late stage. And I thought, here I am, you know, just, thought, you know, thinking I'm pulling off this thing, and I'm, I'm in late stage alcoholism. It was just, uh, you know, it was mind-blowing. Yeah, and, and Elizabeth, that that book for our listeners is called Drinking a Love Story, and it's Caroline Knapp, K-N-A-P-P. And what she does is she uh, includes, I want to say it's the National... Yeah, it's 20 questions. It's like the National Association of Drug and Alcohol. Maybe I can Google it while we're talking. Um, and and they go through... Website, Oh, okay. That would be great. It it goes through the different stages of of alcoholism, and you don't find that out until kind of what they are until after. And I was I too, Elizabeth, was really frightened to find out how many I had that were late stage, and mm-hmm. certainly middle stage. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And 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 um and it's and it's something to um. I guess for anyone who's listening, pay attention to those things because they're also something, one thing with um, alcohol, the alcohol-related symptoms is when they do turn to, there's a couple that are irreversible. Um, and we've taught, we did a show on that on, um, on some, and we, we should probably do it again, but some of the medical, medical consequences, but there are some that are, are uh, not reversible. Many of them we do heal um but for the but the difference between when you go from you know things that you know you may recover from to where you can't it's a very fine line and it's an invisible line and so when you start having any of those symptoms i would say oh i don't know what happened i must not have eaten enough at lunch today um <laughs> if you're thinking that <laughs> you know try to be honest uh, with yourself that old saw <laughs> yeah <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I said that to my ex-husband. Oh, I don't know what happened. I must not have eaten enough today. <laughs> <laughs> and 
It's not the magnum of wine that I drank. Definitely not that. <laughs> no, because I had one yesterday, and it was fine. <laughs> oh, I, Elizabeth here. I used to. I. I. One of the things I used to do was I would defend alcohol. Like I would just. Oh, it was as if like alcohol was my friend. I needed to defend. Like when I was having infertility troubles, you know, people would say, "Well, you know, they say heavy drinking." You know, is a is a you know can cause infertility. Be like, oh God, they blame alcohol for everything. You know, it's just like I had to like stand up for alcohol. Uh, <laughs> well, because it does affect a lot of things. That's the thing too. It really does. But when we're drinking, we we will defend it. I get that. Uh, well, we are we are um, just about where we should uh, wrap up. We're at the end of our show. Um, but I'd love to, you know, touch base and see if there's any, you know, last thoughts any of you would like to share. Um, so we'll start, I guess, just from the order of shares. Elizabeth, any, any, anything that you would like to leave with our listeners as we um, end the show? Um, well, one thing is if, you're, if you are suffering from the 3 a.m. mental beatdown, uh, you're not alone, and, uh, uh, you know, that we've all suffered from that, and, it's part of it's part of the part of the disease is just uh you know you wake up and uh you know the alcohol wakes you up at that hour and, and then you have these thoughts and that you're not alone and um there's lots of help out there lots of different there's recovery programs there's therapy there's outpatient inpatient and you don't have to suffer in silence amen amen that's so true um, how about you, Shelley? Any any final thoughts that you'd like to share? Thank you uh, for having me on. Um, for for anyone who, who's struggling or thinking or not sure, you know, there, there's lots of different mediums out there. There's online. There's counselors. There's there's recovery programs. Um, but talk to someone. Um, you know, don't don't isolate. Don't keep it inside and continue down. A, a very slippery path that that it can go. Even if it's just one person, you know, reach your hand out and say, "Hey, I might be struggling, or I think I might be having a problem," and and take that that first step. Mm. Yes, that's very important. And um, the, you know, um, there you can just. I mean, we're luckily to lucky to be in a day and age where you can just Google that information too. Obviously, anyone listening has has probably done that. <laughs> Because um, they found us somehow, um, but there's there's plenty of information resources out there, so that uh, you know, it's a great point. Um, how about you, uh, Jean? Any any final thoughts that you'd like to share? Um, yeah, I first of all thank you to Shelley and Elizabeth for being on our show. You were just really open and honest, and just thank you so much. It was a real treat to talk to you. And thank you. Um, we we were uh, talking a little bit tonight about um, being grateful for the moments of desperation and forgiving ourselves for them. And I guess I want to chime in and say that I think I drank to help alleviate some of the pain and anxiety I felt about what a terrible person I was in so many other areas of my life. Um, we talk sometimes about whack-a-mole, how... Um, if you just stop drinking but don't deal with your crap, then other problems pop up like eating behaviors or acting out socially or anger or for some people gambling or their addictions and stuff. 
And for me, dealing with my drinking allowed me to find out that a lot of other things in my life, like um, eating behaviors and anger and just, you know, things that I thought made me a bad person actually were just all manifestations of the same pain. And getting into recovery really helped me work on that, where that was coming from. And so I not only was able to forgive myself for the low points of my days drinking, but also for a lot of other areas of my life because I came to see that it wasn't at all that I'm a terrible person. It's that I'm a normal person who is reacting to pain. And when I started to deal with it, things got better. So I just want to share that message of hope. Thank you, Jean. Thank you. Yes. Um, there is plenty of hope out there. Um, mm-hmm. Catherine, any final thoughts from you? Yeah, I, I want to echo the thanks to Elizabeth and Shelley, but also to to you, Amanda and Jean, um, for your candor. It's it's really giving me a lot of things to think about and really helping me tonight. So to anybody listening, I guess I would say you never have to feel this way again. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. all of those, the 3 a.m. mental breakdowns, the shame, the self-loathing, the isolation that, that we talked about, the victim victimization, the fear, you never have to feel that way ever again. Um, and I found that my fear of letting go of alcohol was actually worse than the actual letting go. Um, mm. I, I, I had that experience where I just, I was so afraid. And then once I kind of just opened up my hands and let it fly away, it was like, oh, okay. And it's not that it wasn't an adjustment and there was, you know, obviously there's been work to do, but somehow that fear was worse than it actually was. Um, and like Elizabeth said, you're not alone. And the people, I have returned to the person who I really am on the inside. I, I'm an authentic person now. And that means I have amazing, authentic relationships. And the people that I've met in sobriety have really taught me the way, taught me how to be the person that I want to be. And um, so I have to say that I am really grateful because I wouldn't, I wouldn't have any of that if I were still kind of living my fantasy of just drinking alone on a desert island. Um, you know, I, this this is so much this is so much better. So, um, yeah. Also, just want to end on a note of hope for everybody. And yeah. and oh, and I, I I found it too. It, it's the National Council on Alcoholism and Drug Dependence. That's um, www.ncadd.org, and there's a link on there that says, "Am I an alcoholic?" It's 26 questions. So we'll see what we can do about posting that. It's not on our website, so we'll we can look into doing that. Yeah, I think, yeah, we'll definitely get it up there. Um, all right. Well, um, I, I too would like to thank Elizabeth and Shelley. You've been fabulous hosts and I really appreciate you coming on and, and, and being so honest and sharing so much of ourselves with, uh, so much of yourselves with us. Um, I think our listeners, listeners will get a lot from it and I really, really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, and thank you for sharing too. Oh, thank you, and and um, Catherine and Jean, you know, uh, d- d- thank you for sharing as well. Um, this has been a very powerful show for me, um, you know. And uh, like I said, I wrote it out because it's kind of it's kind of a hard one, you know, to look back at some of these things. But it, um, 
you know, it's, yeah. it's, I guess it's not hard in the sense that, like I said, I, I've forgiven myself for those things, but it's it's hard in, you know, to try to express to people, like, what it feels like. Um, but what I can say, you know, as, as uh, a couple of you have said, you know, you don't have to have a huge event. You you know, if you're, if you're having these feelings, the 3 a.m. thoughts, you know, try to make a change, you know, uh, try to hold on to that, you know, because, um, you know, we, the, the alcoholism or alcohol is a, it's a big lie. You know, we spend a lot of time, you know, someone had posted this today, uh, something along the lines of, you know, we, we have these ideals, uh, you know, these thoughts of what alcohol is like, Oh, you know, it made me the life of the party. It made me do all these different things. It was fun and all these things. But in reality, you know, if you're, at a point where you're thinking about stopping drinking, it's that's probably not the reality of alcohol anymore. It's lying to you. And, um, you know, when we, we have these things happen in our life, whatever it is, if it's just a, a, if it's a series of events or one big event or if it's just a thought or, uh, you know, how we feel about ourselves, if, you know, we can just hang on to that and make a change, um, you know, it's a really, really good life. Um, so mm-hmm. I just yeah. wanted to close with that, you know, like Catherine had said with some hope, um, I, I thought it was the scariest thing in the world and it's the best thing I've ever done. And I think um, everyone on the show would probably agree with that as well. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah. Freedom. <laughs> yes, that's right, freedom. That's that's one of my uh, the first words that come to mind when I think about, you know, what sobriety has done for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so as we sign off, uh, with every show, we'd like to direct you to Shining Strong's website, which is www.shiningstrong.org, um, which is the, that's our parent organization. And on there, you will find links to all of our resources, including the Bubble Hour and Crying Out Now, and links to some of our other initiatives we are involved with in recovery advocacy. And if you would like to go directly to the Bubble Hour's website, that is thebubblehour.com. And there you can listen to our shows directly from the website or you can follow a link to subscribe to our podcast. So we thank you all for listening to the Bubble Hour tonight and hope you have a great evening. Good night, everyone. Good night. Thank you. Good night. Thank you. Thank you.